Our text this morning is in Mark, uh, Mark's gospel. We've been there for a while, so we're in Mark chapter 14. The text this morning is 66 through 72, <clears throat> but we're going to start a little bit further back. Uh, it's just so we'll get this bigger context of what's happening on this really horrible night in the life of Peter. I can't imagine what this must have been like for him. Uh, to come face to face with the reality of who he actually was, perhaps for the very first time in his life, at this moment where he becomes really perhaps self-aware for the very first time, uh, the depths of his own sin, and in this moment when grief and grace embrace. So let me read it for us. I'll, I'm going to start in uh, verse 26 and I'll bounce around a little bit. I'll tell you where when I get there. I read from the ESV, uh, but you can read from the NIV. As with, it's fairly close. But let me read it for us. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to Jesus, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. A little further down, verse 53, it says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And, after, and Peter was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. And then our text. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself at the fire, I suppose, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out to the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. God, we need your help, really, all the time. As we look at your word, I pray that you would help us. Father, please send your spirit to move in us to do this work that you long to do. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
So if there was anything good that came out of COVID, it was the fire pit. Here's mine. Uh, this, was, uh, this is in our backyard. That's uh, what the governor calls the cauldron. It's huge. Uh, that, was, uh, that was what she calls our COVID purchase, right? Um, we, uh, we spent a lot of time around that, that, uh, that glorious fire pit. It's a happy place for me. Uh, all my uh, neighbors will come over. Whenever there's a fire, they know if the fire's burning, come on over. We're hanging out at the fire. We, we build fires all the time. Uh, and my sons, like when they're, all my boys are home, they're all, we all sit around the fire. It's, it's really great. And one of the best parts of it is my, my youngest son, Thatcher, uh, you all met uh, Thatcher maybe when he was here a few weeks ago. He learned to uh, split wood. And that is awesome to behold, to watch a 16-year-old working in the yard splitting wood. Uh, it's, really, it's really great. Because uh, I don't have to do it then. But there's uh, something, really, truly something about uh, a fire pit. It's, uh, it's the smell of the wood smoke for me. I, I love that smell. Um, most likely because whenever I smell it, it can transport me back about 30 years. You all, you all have those things? These smells that will trigger this memory. It's wood smoke for me, or, or even charcoal, but wood smoke mostly, coming off of those fires. It takes me back uh, to a farm uh, in a cold night in January in 1992 when I was a student at Carson Newman. Uh, and I, a bunch of my friends uh, threw a bonfire right at the beginning of the semester, uh, bitter cold, and we, they built this huge bonfire, and I went and was sitting really close to the fire, and this girl comes up behind me, and she says, uh, hey, uh, will you sit on my feet? Because her feet were cold. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> it's kind of weird, I know. Uh, but then I realized that it was... Sherry, right, uh, a.k.a. the governor. That's how we met. We met at a bonfire with this wood smoke. So whenever I smell wood smoke, I go, yeah, I'll sit on your feet <laughs> for 30 years. Absolutely. 30 more. I wonder, after the night that we just read about in both Mark's gospel and in John's, I wonder if after that night when Peter denied Jesus the night that grief and grace met. I wonder if the smell of wood smoke ever reminded him of that night. Mark mentions the fire twice. Twice. 53 to 54, it says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together, and Peter followed at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and Peter was sitting at the, with the guards and warming himself at the fire. And then a little further down, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him, the servant girl looked at him and said, you are also with the Nazarene Jesus. You know, um, we think that um, Peter was responsible for Mark. Uh, we think that he was, he was the one sort of conveying what happened to Mark as he wrote, right? And if that's so... He's the one giving the details of that night, and he doesn't leave out the fire. So much so that, I, that um, if you read John, which we did a few minutes ago, he mentions a fire, so does Luke. Three of the four Gospels mention this fire, most likely because it came out of Mark, which probably means if Peter's telling the story, 
something about that fire stayed in his memory, right? Because smells have a way of triggering memories. Does that happen to you? Does that happen like something will trigger a memory? Perhaps this uh, fire smoke, this wood smoke, um, made Peter think back to this night when he did something horrible. Did something that he never thought he would do. We do that. I do that. Maybe you're different. That You don't have those moments where you think something will trigger a memory and all of a sudden you're replaying. The, you're back at the scene of the crime. Back at the scene of this sin. This thing that you said or did or didn't say or didn't. Do you do that? I do that. These moments when I'm taken back, not to a pleasant fire in Jefferson City, Tennessee, 30 years ago, but when I've said something unkind to my children or things like that. I wonder, I wonder if this um, wood smoke or charcoal ever triggered a memory for Peter like it does for us. I wonder if he got a whip, whiff of that, and it took him back, this trigger. Maybe. It must have felt like a whirlwind, right? This event in the life of Peter that we just read about. We're not talking days, we're talking hours. From the moment that he's in this upper room with Jesus and the disciples, they're having this Passover meal together. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, washes their feet, they're having this conversation And all of a sudden, Jesus reminds them, we read a little while ago, that in a little while, the Son of Man would be betrayed, and they would all fall away. And Peter makes this bold declaration, this this resolve, right, not to deny Jesus, even to the point of death. Though all these other jokers do, not me, I'm right there. Just big words, right, big resolve. What was that based on? What was Peter's resolve Based on himself, right? At no point does he say, I'm resolved to do this, Lord, help me. Nope, no. Maybe that's evidence of a man who's not fully self-aware yet about the depths of his own sin. And he thinks that he has the power within himself. I mean, what's interesting, though, is he's talking to Jesus, right? And Jesus doesn't equivocate here. This isn't a question. Uh, this isn't an if-then. It's a, it's a statement, right? When this happens, you will all fall away. And Peter argues with him. Rather than being struck to the core, that he even has the capacity to do it. Although these other people do it, I am resolved in my own, I will not do that. I don't think he heard Jesus actually state it. We do that too, Right? I mean, we have it written down. God will say something to us in his word, and then we will say, yeah, that might be true for other people, but I, I'm solid in my own. It sounds like uh, what Peter's saying here, this resolve, it sounds like the pious resolve of a man who didn't understand just how much he needed God's grace, particularly in this moment. And that's the thing. I think maybe that's the problem with Peter. And it reveals the sin under the sin in his life. It's not so much that he's resolved. It's just that he's not sort of thinking through what it really means to be human. The fact that sin has touched every part of his life and who he is and his response to everything. It's impacted everything. 
every corner of his life. And so he resolves to go about things in his own strength rather than recognizing that God is telling him something very important about himself. Even though Jesus warned him what was going to happen, he didn't, um, he argued and then had this great resolve thinking that he was special or different. The truth be told, like Peter's resolve wasn't strong enough on his own to stand for Jesus when things got hot, neither is mine at times. And that night, things got hot for Peter, did they not? Really hot. It wasn't long after Peter makes this bold resolve, this bold declaration, that he's, um, he's standing in this room, he's standing with Jesus and others, and Judas comes in and betrays Jesus. I am sure that they did not expect it. This time of year, we read that story about Judas, and he sort of maybe just sort of flashes right before us. But can you imagine being one of the disciples and all of a sudden this happening? You're not expecting Judas to do this. All of a sudden, this betrayal, and things start to happen really fast. Things you're not really anticipating, even though Jesus has told you all these things. It's, things happen really quick. And the next thing you know, Peter finds himself following along as Jesus is under arrest, and he finds himself in the courtyard of the high priest standing at a fire with the guards who most likely had been part of the group that had arrested Jesus, and he's warming himself at a fire. Boy, how quickly things have turned in a matter of hours. But he's still resolved. I think he really meant it. I think in his heart of heart, he meant it. that He, was, he would die before he ever denied Jesus or fell away. And I do think it's significant that Peter is there, we don't really know if any of the other ones were. I mean, perhaps John, maybe. Maybe some of the other disciples were around. But we know Peter was there, right? He's there. It's in all four Gospels, right, that this, like, this is taking place and Peter is there. It says something significant. It says something very significant about him. It's very clear that he loves Jesus and is concerned about Jesus. And so he, he puts himself at some risk when he is in this moment. And then he's at this fire pit warming himself, and a girl, a servant girl, who works for the high priest, comes storming up. That's the way Mark sort of gives us this perspective of this girl. She comes storming up to Peter. She knows. Um, And it's like she she wants to expose who he is, that he's with Jesus, who is uh, probably just above them being uh, examined, right? And she says to him, You are also with the Nazarene, Jesus. And the way she phrases it, it's an accusation. It probably put him on his heels. He's on his guard. And she's loaded for bear, I think. Peter doesn't realize that at this very moment that there is now a second trial. Jesus and himself. There are two trials happening. Jesus tells the truth at his trial. All the other people lie. Jesus tells the truth. All the other people in Peter's trial are telling the truth, and Peter lies. She asks him the question, and he says, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And then he went into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. He's at the fire. You smell the smoke? It's warm. Mark tells us that uh, now he moves away from the fire. He leaves the, the light of the fire and the warmth of the fire, and he goes out of it. He's just lied. He steps away from the warmth and, and sort of uh, oddly enough, as he steps away from the fire, he steps further away from Jesus too. 
But it didn't really matter. This girl is relentless. I don't like her. <laughs> I think she had it really out for Jesus and, uh, and, for, and for Peter. She worked for the high priest, so maybe she wanted to raise something. I don't know. At any rate, she comes at Peter again, this time outside the fire. I mean, she has to go. Like, she sees him out there, and she goes to him. And now she gets the bystanders involved, right? She says it again. But again, he says, uh, he denies it. So now the bystanders get involved, and they, they talk to him about, surely you're one of them because you're a Galilean. Now, what that means is he had an accent. I don't know if you've noticed. So do I. Uh, and when I get tired... Uh, my Appalachian accent really comes out uh, to the point where some of you would have a difficult time understanding any word that comes out of my mouth. My kids think it's hilarious, uh, and it is. Uh, Peter's accent gave him away. And this is when it gets really bad. It gets worse. Remember, Peter's name means rock. All of a sudden, he is crushed into gravel. And we think he's telling the story, too. And he loses it. Whatever resolve he had had moments ago or hours ago, it's gone. It's gone in the face of these accusations. And he, Mark tells us that he denies even knowing Jesus. He, at first, he was denying being associated with Jesus. No, 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 no. Now he denies even knowing him. Doesn't even say his name. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. It's conceivable that he's calling down a curse on himself. May God strike me down if I'm lying. I would have backed up from Peter, right? But it's also conceivable, it's possible, it's arguable that when it says that he invokes a curse on himself and began to swear, that he cursed Jesus as well. Whatever he did, it's really bad. I mean, it's really bad. And at a terrible moment, too, right? I mean, he's in front of people who really need to hear about Jesus. And if anybody in the world at the time could have told people about Jesus, it was Peter. He walked on water. He saw people raised from the dead. The blind received their sight. The, the deaf restored. He saw all sorts of things. He'd spent all this time with him. And in this critical moment, when he was resolved, didn't matter. And Peter's left standing there with the reality of just how broken he actually is. Because at that point, the rooster crows. Luke tells us that at that moment, that Jesus and Peter make eye contact. And Peter is crushed. He goes away weeping, broken. Hours before he was resolved, and now he is broken. This isn't just a denial, though, is it? I mean, it's clear that Peter loved Jesus. He's concerned about him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been there. One theologian, though, points out that his love did not withstand the test of fear. Man, that's a powerful statement. We use the word denial. It's a nice word. It's just, he just lied. Three times. And cursed. No matter how you slice it or dice it, he lied and he cursed this critical moment. It was a big lie. Why did he do it? Because he was a human being. He was a man. He was as capable of sin as anyone else. And to the core of him, just like all of us, 
The sin goes very deep in all of us. Jesus had told him too, right? Told him all. But Peter was the one that was resolved in himself. I'm special. This doesn't really apply to me. And yet, it did. And Jesus knew it was going to happen, right? How? Well, obviously, he's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? But he'd also uh, spent time with Peter. Maybe it's perhaps because God knows the hearts of all human beings, too. He knew Peter, knew what he was like. He knows us, knows what we're like, what we're prone to do. He knew Peter very well. And this is a powerful moment in the life of Peter with his relationship with Jesus. I, I think Peter actually did mean what he said, that he would die first. I think he actually intended that. And then when this moment comes up and all this starts to happen and things begin to take place, his love couldn't overcome the fear that he felt. And he couldn't fully appreciate the weight of his sin, the impact of sin in his life, and his enormous need for God's grace. At the end of Mark 14, Peter is broken and weeping. One theologian really helped me understand it. This is what he wrote. I'll read it slowly for us. He wrote, sin is not merely a matter of breaking a commandment. In the courtyard of the high priest, Peter broke one commandment three times. But to think of sin as simply trespass or transgression does not explain Peter's downward spiral. Peter was trapped in a pattern of behaving that his best intentions and most devout protestations could not alter. Sin is a power that people cannot break themselves. At the end of this passage, Peter has been brought face to face with a truth he did not want to acknowledge. In many ways, this gospel is the story of how Peter, who symbolizes the best efforts of pious people to be faithful, is brought to the point of repentance. Before Peter swore the oath that culminated in his own denial of Jesus, the Son of Man had already laid out the path of salvation for Peter as well as for everyone who would follow him. Only God's grace could save Peter from what he invoked upon himself. Only God's grace can break the power of sin in us. Only God's grace can break the power of sin in us. But before that moment, I don't think Peter realized the depths of his own sin and his need for God's grace. But he sure did after. Broken and grieving over the depths of sin in his life. I think that's where the gospel really begins in the hearts of people. Like Peter, I think we have to realize that our best efforts are nothing because our sin is so great. We, like Peter, must be broken and grieve over how it touches all of us and shapes everything. And only then will we start to understand our deep need for God's grace. But the story doesn't end there, not in the life of Peter, nor in ours, because Jesus does something really amazing. After uh, his resurrection, after he's crucified, Peter goes back to where he's comfortable. He goes fishing. And the other disciples go with him. And they're out there all night long fishing. And they don't catch a thing until someone on the shore says, throw your nets on the other side. And they bring in this huge haul of fish, John tells us. 
And that's when they recognize it. It's the risen Lord. It's Jesus. And so they start going to shore, and Peter's so excited, probably because he needed Jesus then more than ever. And so he jumps in the water, gets to the shore, and when he gets there, what does he find? A fire. I don't think that's insignificant. Jesus has a charcoal fire on the shore, and he's making breakfast. I wonder if the smoke from that fire with a fish on it burned Peter's eyes. If he remembered just a few nights before standing at another fire, broken over his sin and grieving. And while the smoke from that breakfast fire is still whirling around in the air, Jesus asks him some questions. Actually, it's the same question. Do you love me? And he asks him three times. And Peter gets to say, yeah, I do. And to this broken man who had denied him, lied, and cursed, Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And he put him to work in the kingdom because now he's ready. Because he understands the depth of his own sin, and he's grieved over it. And in this moment on that shore, that's when grief over sin met the love of God in Christ Jesus and the grace of God. I wonder if for the rest of Peter's life when he smelled wood smoke or a charcoal fire. I wonder if he thought about that night when he denied the Lord and that day when he was on the shore and his grief over his sin was met with the grace of God. I hope so. I wonder when you were reminded of the places that you have blown it. I wonder if... Uh, I wonder if in those moments you're reminded of the grace of God that's been extended to you in Jesus. I hope so. For those of you who perhaps don't yet know Jesus, and you're interested and want to know about what it means to be, well, to be aware of your own sinfulness and grieve over it and yet meet the grace of God, I hope you'll ask some questions about that. I'd be willing to talk to you about it at any point. Maybe we'll build a fire and have a conversation. Let me pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, be with us, especially as we step into trying to figure out what it means to walk with you in a broken world, as broken people who are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Lord, help us send your spirit to do that work in us. Mark us by that. This I pray and ask in the powerful and the awesome and the marvelous name of Jesus. Amen. Please rise.